listening to a podcast from The National. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu claimed Iran is developing a secret nuclear weapons program. He made the accusations in extravagant fashion during a press conference this week. The Israeli Prime Minister paraded in front of a huge LED screen, showing what he claimed were a half-ton of documents proving that Iran breached the deal. Iran lied. Big time. If his claims are true, it would be a direct violation of the 2015 deal agreed with world powers. Iran responded, calling the claims a ridiculous propaganda stunt and the latest in the, quote, fruitless efforts of a bankrupt and scandalous liar. This all comes less than two weeks before President Donald Trump decides whether the U.S. plans to stay in the Iran nuclear deal or not. If the U.S. pulls out, Iran can expect the continuation of crippling sanctions on its economy. Will Israel's latest accusations have an effect on Trump's Iran decision? This is Beyond the Headlines. I am Nasal al-Wesmi. On this episode, we talk to Robert Kelly, who has over 35 years experience working in the U.S. Department of Energy nuclear weapons complex. He also worked for the International Atomic Energy Agency, the IAEA, where he served twice as director of the nuclear inspections in Iraq in 1992 and again in 2001. We started the interview by asking him to break down what is a really complicated topic. The issue seems to be one of re-digging up Iran's past nuclear history and trying to somehow connect that to this agreement that the uh, United Nations has with Iran today. There's no question in the mind of serious analysts that Iran had a nuclear weapons program uh, back. They, they were interested in doing things in the late 80s. They were at war with Iraq, and they knew that Iraq was developing nuclear weapons. They had good intelligence. And they pursued a lot of the same things that Iraq did. And by the middle 90s, I think they'd made a, a decision to really press forward because you see them spending a lot of money on large facilities. But by the early 2000s, you see that interest flagging and disappearing. And by around 2003, 2004, they seem to have ended their program. Now, they certainly accumulated a lot of knowledge in that time. They they got information on how to build a nuclear bomb. They probably did a lot of studies in that regard. And these are things that they don't seem to be too interested in admitting today. I don't find that terribly surprising. Countries can certainly move forward looking to the future and deny things that happened in the past. Um, so I don't find it too surprising that Iran says, don't bother me about what I did 15 years ago. Uh, let's move forward. Now, if we jump over that, we see that Iran has all this knowledge, which they seem to have stored away in an archive in a dusty old warehouse. We see pictures of that from Netanyahu, which makes a lot of sense. You would archive all this information. Countries do. Bureaucrats do. You don't just throw everything away. So where are they today? They have the knowledge to build a nuclear weapon, but not the materials. The agreement that was reached between the European Union, Russia, China, the United States, and Iran says we're going to prevent Iran from producing nuclear materials that could be used for bomb. Iran agreed to that. Six parties on the other side agreed to that. And that became a Security Council resolution that says Iran's not going to make nuclear materials to build a bomb. 
given that, that the agreement is not about saying what did Iran do in the past or, or what do they know. It's saying they have this knowledge, but we're agreeing, and Iran is agreeing. If they don't produce nuclear materials, they can't produce a bomb. And that's exactly where we are today. The agreement is preventing them from making materials and making use of the knowledge they generated about 20 years ago. Benjamin Netanyahu said that there's half a ton of documents. Is there any reason to believe what he's saying is his claims are true? Yes, that's what that's what he claims, and, and that's a very interesting claim. It's quite a, an amazing thing if an intelligence agency in Israel can spirit 500 kilograms of, of documents out of a secure facility. That makes me think that these are probably not particularly sensitive documents. I'll give you an example. We had um, roughly the same number of pages from Iraq in 1992-93. We had about 5,000 pages uh, of individual telegrams that were exchanged between Iraq and European suppliers where they were trying to buy all sorts of things from um, Europe, many of which were specialized for weapons and others were completely just innocuous scientific equipment, etc. Well, those messages, of course, had a recipient in Europe and the Europeans responded back. So all of that stuff completely unclassified. It was in English and we got our hands on it when we were inspecting in Iraq and it was a rather valuable bit of information. But I think the Iraqis would have stored that stuff in, in cardboard filing boxes and not in safes, because by definition, people in Germany, France, wherever, had also seen the same correspondence and had copies of it themselves. So I'm a little suspicious that the 50,000 pages that they say they have might prove to be a little less than overwhelming. Another thing about documents like that, as we saw it in the case of uh, forgeries that we were given at IAEA. Some of those forgeries came from Israel, by the way, and were designed to keep the IAEA off guard in trying to resolve issues, particularly in Iraq. And what you do is you get a whole bunch of legitimate material. It could be brochures, uh, airline reservations, schedules, all kinds of things that are real. And then you throw in a few things that you want people to find that are not real. We had a very clear case of that <clears throat> when the um, Bush administration claimed that there was uranium being taken from Niger to uh, Iraq in 2002, and we got our hands on, on these documents, and there were genuine flight manifests and airline tickets and all sorts of things that were completely real, pages and pages of that, and then stuck in there were a few little things that had been salted in to catch our interest. Fortunately, the things that were forged were not very good quality forgeries, and it was pretty easy to pick them out. But it's a technique that people use, is give up a lot of genuine information and salt in what you want someone to find so they'll think it's real. Has Israel tried to forge documents or tried to sway the IAEA's inspections in Iran? I saw some documents in the time frame, let's say 2009, 2008, that I was pretty sure were forgeries and they involved Iran. Um, you don't know for sure where they came from, but if you read some of the um, books that have been written by retired IAEA people, you come to a very clear conclusion that uh, Israel was giving things to the IAEA 
and the IAEA was very suspicious about their um, their credibility. The bottom line, I mean, how much of an impact will Netanyahu's uh, claims have on Donald Trump's decision on May 12th? I was fascinated to uh, hear Trump comment on that yesterday. He gave a press conference in the Rose Garden with the president of Nigeria, and he took some questions. And one of the things he said was, the things that are happening over there show that I was completely right in uh, my criticism and my concerns. And I may paraphrase that slightly, but I remember that's what he was saying. And I, I find that to be completely baffling, because the stuff that Netanyahu presented is kind of a historical view of what Iran was doing 15 and 20 years ago, which is very well known. It's published. I can point you to reports that say almost everything he just said. And that has nothing to do with the current situation was preventing Iran from from producing uh, nuclear materials. And in fact, Trump should be very, very happy. He should say this JCPOA agreement is fantastic, it's important, it's good, because Iran has all this knowledge. Bibi has just shown us they have all this knowledge. They still have these old documents, even though they're in a dusty warehouse. Um, and, and they have the ability to produce nuclear weapons, except we have a really good deal that keeps them from getting nuclear materials, which they agreed to and we agreed to. And by the way, it's a Security Council resolution. It's not the U.S.-Iran uh, nuclear deal. It's a Security Council resolution that was written primarily by the U.S. and then rammed through under Obama, and now all of a sudden people are saying, let's get out of the deal. Well, you don't get out of that kind of a deal. So why is he unhappy with the deal? Because it has Obama's name on it. Anything that Obama did uh, and John Kerry did in the past, um, I think you can see that Trump is trying to undo every single thing that Obama ever touched. So that's that's certainly part of it. Uh, the other thing is that I think he's very much under the sway of um, Bibi Netanyahu, and now his new uh, advisor, John Bolton, are very, very hawkish on Iran. And so if they can kill this deal... Uh, they're trying to provoke Iran into doing something. Uh, that's what's going on. They're trying to make Iran do something that Iran will maybe regret, but can be used as an excuse to go to war. And there are people in the um, um, Trump cabinet now who've made it very clear they want to go to war. They're looking for an excuse. The new Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, uh, one of the things that shocked me was he said, we can destroy the Iranian nuclear program with 2,000 air sorties, you know, bombing sorties. And my eyes just pop out. I say, what Iran nuclear program? There isn't one anymore other than the power plant and, and a few other pretty minor things. And the idea that you could fly 2,000 airplanes and bomb all, bomb it, I mean, what in the world is he going to bomb? There aren't 2,000 targets. There aren't 1,000 targets that need two bombs. It's It's just manifestly crazy, and yet that man was just confirmed last week as the new Secretary of State, and he says, we can take out the program with 2,000 sorties. It's on the record. You don't have to take my word for it. Well, what about the mystique? I mean, what, is there any reason why U.S. President Donald Trump is keeping his decision such a secret? My impression of Donald Trump is that's how he does business. Um, I guess it was today or yesterday he said he's putting off the decision on steel and aluminum tariffs for 30 more days. So he keeps everybody kind of 
on edge. He doesn't give people the information they need. It's it's kind of a showman's approach to things. So Trump doesn't like to make decisions, let people know what he's doing. He likes to surprise people. He likes to put things off. He likes showmanship, and I think that's all it is. Is he's just he's probably made up his mind, and he's just saying, you know, wait until the big day, and that. Uh, Five o'clock, turn on your TV, and you'll see your president standing in front of you telling you what he's going to do. All right, so let's say the U.S. pulls out of uh, the deal. Will it have any impact on North Korea, who recently expressed their interest to denuclearize? Does it set a precedent? In my opinion, if you are getting out of a deal that was negotiated barely two years ago and, and erasing your signature from the deal and putting that country under um, severe sanctions and you're on the other side of the globe trying to convince North Korea that you're reliable and you can be trusted, that your handshake is valid and your signature is good, if I were the North Koreans, I'd be laughing. How in the world could they possibly trust someone who is just in the process of getting rid of a, a perfectly good deal that actually is doing a lot of good? On top of that, you've got North Korea has exploded six nuclear devices. They're producing uranium and plutonium. They've been doing this for years, and they've proudly said, we have nuclear weapons and we can incinerate Washington. So they're getting treated rather well compared to Iran, who even uh, Netanyahu never said they're building bombs. He just said they thought about it and they had a program. So their treatment is very, very unequal, I would say. And if I were the North Koreans, I'd be very suspicious about taking Trump's word for this. Going back to uh, the National Security Advisor, John Bolton, he said in comments the United States is looking to a Libya model and pursuing its nuclear disarmament talks with North Korea. What does he mean by that exactly? I think it's a very strange statement. I, I read it with some interest. I've seen it a couple places. Uh, Libya is not a particularly good model for um, trying to denuclearize North Korea. The, for starters, Libya had almost nothing. Libya was playing around, buying some centrifuges from Pakistan, and it was a pretty minor effort. Uh, they had nothing going whatsoever in the weapons area. If someone said to me, and, and I was there doing the evaluation of what was left, you know, how long would it have taken these guys to get there? I would say decades. Because they'd already spent the last at least 20 to 30 years playing around the edges of a nuclear bomb program but not going anywhere. So when uh, Bolton comes along and tries to compare a country that has nuclear weapons and is threatened to use them with somebody who didn't have anything, I'm surprised. The other thing is Bolton is a, is a very strong critic of the United Nations. He doesn't like the UN. Uh, he doesn't like the IAEA. I know that personally because I was in the room when I was told to go to Libya and do the weapons evaluation, uh, and Bolton was there, and he was very upset that the IAEA was going to have any access to that information. He didn't want us to do that. Even though I'm an American, I was working for IAEA at the time. And so the fact that he hates the United Nations so much and has made that clear in public utterances makes it surprising to me that he would say that the Libyan program, which was dismantled by the IAEA, uh, is a model for the U.S. to go into North Korea. Is, is just at odds. I do not see that that makes any sense whatsoever. Taking it back to Iran, there have been reports that uh, Tehran can easily make highly enriched uranium within days if the U.S. pulls out. 
What is meant by that and how much of an impact, how much of an issue could that be? There's no question that if they turn all their centrifuges back on, take them out of IAEA monitoring, right now most of them are turned off, but if the U.S. pushes them in that direction, yes, they could start producing highly enriched uranium. That, in turn, could could lead them to try to apply the knowledge that they got 20 years ago and how to build a bomb and actually build a bomb. Um, that is the direction they could be pushed in. Personally, I don't really think that's the direction they want to go, but uh, if they're having to respond to the U.S. breaking the agreement that the U.S. had made and they, they want to show in some way that this is that you can't push us around, I'm sure that's how they're going to feel. They probably will do something provocative to say, okay, you reneged on your part of the deal, we're reneging on ours. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to build a bomb, but it certainly means they could begin to accumulate bomb-grade material. And I think that would raise the stakes tremendously. It would be used as an excuse to go to war. It's an ideal excuse for, for going to war. A manufactured excuse. I'd like to thank Robert Kelly for being on this episode of Beyond the Headlines. I'd also like to thank Kevin Jeffers for producing. You can find all the Nationals podcasts on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. I've been your host, Nasal Wesmi. Thank you for listening and goodbye.